Well, it's similar to my thoughts on voting, actually, which is, um, you know, people say, who'd you vote for? And I say, I don't vote. They're like, well, you're just going to not do your your constitutional right obligation as a citizen to vote. And again, it's like once you know where freedom comes from, then there's just a natural response in like, I'm not going to vote for who gets to rule over me. Like I don't participate in that system. Nobody is my ruler. The 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 president, the the con- Congress, senator, all these people are supposed to be our public servants, right? And so we've we've had it completely twisted upside down, where now these are like seen as our rulers. It's like you have to vote on who's going to rule over you. No, I don't actually. You do because you don't know who you are. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Autogomes Crypto Show. Today, I have a very good friend of mine that we connected because of the craziness of life and the chaos that is the pandemic. Uh, His name is Aaron Abke. This guy is so cool. Like, really, uh, as soon as I met him, it was like a brother from another mother. Aaron helps others free their mind, empower their heart, and expand their consciousness through his courses in 4D, uh, in 4duniversity.com. Aaron guides others through mastering your mind, mastering meditation, and overall mastering your ascension. With a hit show on unified.tv, sharing his journey through social media and educating the masses through his university, Aaron is making a much-needed impact on physical and mental health. Ladies and gentlemen, Aaron Apke. <laughs> Love the applause. Love it. I, uh, I do a lot of podcasts, man. And so I, I love podcasting. It's become one of my favorite things actually. But, um, I ha- this is the podcast I've been the most excited for in a very long time. Uh, thinking really? about the opportunity to really jam with you on some stuff has gotten me really excited. So I'm looking forward to it, man. Thanks for having me. Dude, I've never, that's the first time I've ever heard that. That's something that's like, <laughs> I was looking forward to this podcast. Like, oh, okay. Wow. Dude, thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you. You've been, you've been talking about some stuff recently that is super exciting that I, I'm, we're going to get into, but first I want to get to know you better. Um, I know, I know a little bit about you and we, we, I don't think we actually did a drop in together when we were together, like in real, real life. Uh, yeah, so not maybe, really. Yeah, so let's let's use this opportunity to really go deep and share your journey. So, first question: What has been your you know I like I like to call it the hero's journey. What has been your hero's journey until this point, and and what was specifically your red pill moment that kind of shook you out of the matrix? Oh man, yeah, a lot of red pill moments to to think about for that one. So I like the way you painted that with the hero's journey. I would say that. In summary, my hero's journey has probably been the overcoming of religious fundamentalism into uh, expanded consciousness and new thought, you know, spirituality. I grew up as a pastor's kid, uh, evangelical pastor's kid, and was a super devout Christian, super, uh, as we said, on fire for Christ um, Christian. Oh my God, you're using all the, I'm getting so triggered by the word. (laughs) Is that a trigger word for you? (laughs) <laughs> well, I grew, I grew up Pentecostal Christian, so I'm like, oh, there it is. Uh, but keep oh, going. see, I, I didn't know you off. grew up Pentecostal. 
Yeah, yeah. A lot of similarities with evangelicalism and Pentecostalism. So I wanted to be a pastor like my dad and wandered down that path up to 23 years old, went to a Oral Roberts University, Christian University, got my degree in music and theology and began as a full-time worship pastor at 23 years old. And then had my first red pill moment in my life, uh, which really like I, I'd kind of been stepping away from fundamentalism pretty hard since I was about 18. But at that point in my life, you know, every single friend I have, all of my family without a single exception are hardcore Christian. And so the idea of like stepping away from my religion was not an option for me until many years later, maybe 23 years old, when the internal conflict of like, hey, I just don't believe this stuff anymore. And I can't lie to myself anymore. And I can't lie to you guys anymore. Like I'm out. That didn't come for about five years of really wrestling through that. But the red pill moment for me coming out of religion was working at a church that was very fundamentalist. Uh, my dad's church, our church growing up, was not very fundamentalist. We, we never really talked about things like hell and the rapture and biblical inerrancy and all of that. So I didn't have to really wrestle too hard with those dogmatic beliefs. But the church that I got a job at after college was very legalistic. And I always wanted to talk about how everyone's going to hell except for us and our denomination and the rapture is coming soon and all this stuff. And I remember um, one memory that sticks out particularly strong was I was sitting in the front row with my then uh, new wife. We, I got married at 23 and she was 20. So we were super young. And uh, this woman goes on stage to give an offering testimony, as you're familiar with. And a man walked behind her up on the stage and stood behind her kind of like this with his arms behind his back, just like looking all stoic. And I was on, on the front row watching this, like, what in the hell is going on? Like, what is this guy doing standing behind her like that? And then uh, she finishes her testimony. And I started to wonder, like, wait a minute, is this like them using the man as, you know, spiritual protection for the woman who like... Paul, there's a few writings from Paul in the New Testament where he's like, women are inferior to men. They shouldn't ever speak in church. Only a man should speak, you know, all this women inferiority stuff. And uh, if, if a woman does speak, Paul says, the man should stand behind her as her covering because Eve sinned first and then Adam. So really women are the evil gender of the two, right? Mm -hmm. This kind of belief system. And I was yeah. like, there's, there's no way I'm, I'm literally working at a church that believes and practices this stuff. But sure enough, they walk down the stage together and they sit next to each other and hold hands. And I was like, yep, that's definitely her husband. And so that was like my first <laughs> week at the church. And I was kind of like, all right, this is going to be a tough one for me. And I didn't even last like three months before I just had to tell my pastor, like, look, I, I don't believe any of this stuff. I can't keep doing this. I quit. And then I kind of blew up my life, you know, definitely lost every friend. Most of my family didn't want to talk to me anymore because I'm now a heretic, right? Then I moved across the country back to Oklahoma where I went to college and just kind of tried to re-envision who I thought I was and what I believed mm -hmm. about the divine. And that's when I really plunged into the Eastern traditions of like Buddhism and Hinduism, Taoism, and really discovered um, a new organic spirituality for me that felt true in my heart. Wow. Wow. Dude, you said so many things and I'm like, and I, and that's me. Oh my gosh. I can relate to that. Oh goodness. Gracious. <laughs> um, I mean, um, so, so you said oral Roberts university, uh, you ever heard of uh, Lee university? Uh-huh. 
That's where I went. <laughs> uh, okay, nice. I, I, it was a Church of God school. Um, so I didn't know yep. if you knew because, or we knew, we knew about Oral Roberts there. Uh, so I didn't know if you guys knew about, uh, Lee university, but yeah, man, I can relate to all of this. I was married at 22, 23, same age. And I got divorced after six years. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. So we both grew up basically Pentecostal, both got married <laughs> at the same age, both got divorced. How old were you when you got divorced? Uh, so six years later, so it was like, uh, yeah, 29, I think 20, 29. Okay. I only made it to 26. Only made it <laughs> <laughs> only three years. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, I, for me, uh, well, what, why did you do divorce? What was, uh, is, I mean, you don't have to go in detail, but like, was it a, uh, you know, a disconnect on awareness or what was it exactly you think? Yeah. After we, after we kind of left our religion, cause she was obviously, you know, fundamentalist Christian growing up too. Um, I, I went really hard. I was super hungry for truth and I didn't care where I was going to go to find that truth. I, I didn't believe in the taboos anymore. I was so sick of that stuff. So I was like, let's, let's look into, you know, white magic and like whatever other stuff that I was always off limits for me. And I was really having fun exploring stuff. And I got really heavy into like non-duality and enlightenment. And she kind of went that way. And I went this way. She tried mm -hmm. to, um, still kind of cling on to a lot of the Christian stuff. and wasn't really ready to make that transition. And that was just one of a few issues at that point in my life. I didn't know who I was. And so I was discovering myself and what I wanted out of life and stuff. But that was the main reason why I just was clear. We were just on two different paths. So it was kind of a yeah. mutual thing. Ah, same dude. It's so weird. We really got to like get on a, just a call and just go deep. Um, because I, I relate to that exactly same thing happened for me it was like 2000 yeah 2015 uh i i didn't want to work in my accounting office anymore and i wanted to pursue acting and pursue my passion uh and then that uh -huh. was the beginning of the end because <laughs> like uh she felt safe it was the same thing i met her at in college i met her at lee and yeah. we got married because it was the next thing to do and we were just doing the cookie cutter you know christian thing to do yeah and then and then that was the lie for me at least you know for at least for my truth um yeah yeah man that's that's a that's a very similar journey there wild um, man wild <laughs> um so tell me okay now let's let's kind of fast forward here past that uh you know living your life doing your thing and then 2020 <sighs> comes and slaps you in the face so how, what when did 2020 become personal for you like when did it become like, cause you know, there's, there's mainstream media and all the stuff that they talk about and discuss, but, and then there's like, boom, it slaps you in the face. That's a good question, man. You know, it all happened so fast and it's hard to look back now and say like, what, what about it really woke me up, but I didn't. So back, back in 2020, before the pandemic happened, I wasn't aware of the, of terrain theory or like the fallacy of germ theory yet. So like, I totally believed like, Oh no, a virus broke out. Bummer. Now we have to deal with this. I fully bought the narrative. It was not until I started running into people like Alex Zek, um, you know, and then Dr. Kaufman and Cowan and some of their work and listening to their thoughts about it that I started to realize, Oh wow. So if this is all true, then weaponizing a pandemic or a virus would be like, the most powerful weapon that the elites could ever uh, wield against humanity. So how do I know that they're not doing that with COVID? Oh, I don't know that. And then, you know, more stuff comes out about Wuhan and 
very quickly, the way I saw the pandemic did a full 180. Um, and probably right up until the, you know, the Vax rollout, I remember as soon as I heard them starting to talk about this on the news, I think it was Trump actually talking about it. My initial thought was, I'm definitely not taking any products from these people. Because by <laughs> then I had done enough research just to see like who the big players are in these kind of events and stuff. And I'm like, oh, of course, you know, Big Pharma is going to try to make hundreds of billions of dollars off of a mandatory product. I'm definitely not participating in that. But never could I have foreseen the even more malevolent intent behind the the vax mandates and stuff. Following year 2021, that's when they started mandating things and you couldn't travel without it and all this stuff. And so by that point, I'm fully red pilled into okay. So I, like most people, had been, you know, um, what's the word? Not conveniently, but in a more gullible way, just overlooking the nature of our world, uh, mm -hmm. who's really in power and why, like. I remember when Occupy Wall Street happened <clears throat> and I, I wasn't privy to any of this stuff back then. So I was like, oh, the 1%, the 99%. Oh, is that true to 1% own that? That's crazy. And that was sort of like my first initiation into the way our world is set up is very uh, corrupt and unhealthy, right? Mm. Then as I got older and getting into more of having my own finances and, and banking and whatnot, started to realize, wow, there is something about this feels just off energetically like we're all born into this world so it's hard for you to question a world you're born into but something deep in our soul i think knows what's harmonious and natural and healthy and unified and a world where 0.1% of people own 99% of the wealth is indicative of a huge planetary sickness you know mm. something has gone uh, very awry on our planet that that could happen because guess what Every living being on this planet wants that money just as bad as everyone else, right? So how do we get into a situation where 0.1% owns almost all of it? Well, there has to be some corruption there, right? I, I can't believe it, it would almost be a conspiracy theory for me to, if you said, oh, no, Aaron, it happened by totally natural means, no corruption. It's just the nature of the game, you know, it just that's the way it ended up. I don't believe that, right? I know obviously for that much of a imbalance to happen means some fraud, some corruption has played a part in it. And so then I started getting into more common law and understanding what money really is, understanding banking, the Federal Reserve and um, the bond market and all this stuff. And then it's, it's slowly the pieces came together over the last few years of this is why our world is the way that it is, because there is a system of deep corruption and fraudulence that's happening right underneath everyone's eyes that 99% of people are still not aware of. We've all been played a fool in a sense. And again, because we're born into the world like this, we just don't really question it. But um, sometimes I think about what, what ETs must think looking at our world from a, you know, coming from some fourth density, harmonious planet and, uh, some enlightened civilization and they're coming here and they're like looking at how our, our world is set up and all the problems we have. And they're just probably like, Oh my God, this planet's crazy. You know? So it's, it's like fun that time meme. to be alive. There's a meme where there's like two little aliens, they come in and then they look down there and like, people are like, like hitting each other and all the craziness. And they're like, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll just come back later. <laughs> and they go, go back in a couple leave. thousand years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, that's, <clears throat> You know, that's a, that's a, this is an interesting conversation that we're going to go into right now, which is this like, you know, collective 
uh, shadow or <laughs> how do we connect collective yeah. dark night of the soul that yeah. we're all going through right now. Um, you know, I, I get often said, uh, said to me or asked like, well, uh, how Otto? that's imp- how, how can this be? That means that so many people will have to be in on it. It would have to be a, a, a coordinated effort on a global scale for this to, to actually be, you know, a true conspiracy like you described. So how, 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 how do they do this? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I believe this. I believe that it was, that it is, you know, the 0.01% that is doing all this, a, a few number of people, but how, how the yeah. heck did they do this? Yeah. Yeah. So what's your thoughts? Well, that's a great question. And it's one that I, we do need to address when we start this conversation, because there's people who don't see the way the game is really being played. And so they'll just hear it and go, ah, that just sounds too crazy. I can't believe that. And it's like, look, hey, nobody, ugh, absolutely nobody would want to believe this. <laughs> like, I who the I, I hell would, that. <laughs> would want to make up such a dark, insidious reality to live in in their mind? Like, trust me, I do not believe this because I wanted to make up a conspiracy. Ugh, it's such a funny thing when people say that. That's conspiracy theory. Who the hell would want to make this? Anyway, so... So the way we have to address this question, I think, Otto, is to understand the way that corruption happens. Let's let's look at the, the legal system, for example, the way that, you know, legalese, this legal language that has hijacked everything. Um, like there was never a dark cabal of Satanists sitting at a round table coming up with a plan of how do we use this language system to deceive humanity? That's just not the way it practically happens. It happens bit by bit generation by generation, people learn how to weaponize things that can give them power. It's that simple. And so really the two biggest things, right, that can be weaponized by the uh, forces of evil, we could say, are language and money. Those Mm. are the two most powerful control weapons that the negative polarity has at its disposal. And so just naturally, people who acquire wealth who are selfish and greedy and want more wealth. And absolutely no one listening to this would deny that there's lots of extremely greedy people who want wealth in the world. So this isn't a stretch to say that people who want a lot of wealth have found ways to get that wealth, whether you like it or not, right? Changing the definition of words so they can be weaponized for financial benefit, for one example. Changing the way that systems work so that the there's, there's always more of the money ending up in the hands of the rich and the powerful, right? We already know that this is what they do. Well, generation after generation, going back hundreds of years to the original, you know, Rothschilds and Rockefellers, the central banking families who set up the banking systems, like they, they set it up in such a way that they end up being the big winners at the end of the day. And when you use that, maybe let's say they're winning 90% of the money and the common people are getting 10%. We'll just extrapolate that out, you know, 200 years or in really a thousand years, if you want to go back to Europe and stuff like it compounds over time to where now we live in this world where every single system you can think of from loans to credit to banking to the stock market, Wall Street, everything you can conceive of has been gradually and slowly weaponized by the elite class because they know how money works and the lower class tends not to know how money works. They've, they've built the systems and the legal procedures and all this stuff in such a way that if you have, what's that old game we used to play as kids where the marble, you make the marble go down the thing. They've created all the yeah. funnels to go to them, 
right? And a tiny fraction of it goes to the common people. Go ahead. I was gonna say it's like like a closed system, right? A closed system exactly, that yeah. uh, I even I go I even go back to when I talk about this, I go back to like the Pennsylvania experiment, you know, the the prison experiment, where they 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 mm-hmm. took ten students or they took twenty students, they ten students became the prisoners and ten students became the guards, and they created the whole structure. They built out like a prison like setting. And for uh, it, was a, it was supposed to be a six day experiment where they would go 24 seven in that, you know, you're the prisoner and you're the guard. And then they would go through this huh. daily process after tw- after like 48 hours, the the prisoners were starting to emotionally become prisoners like they, they would oh, stupid guards and the guards started yeah. to be like, yeah, shut up, like really start. And, uh-huh. and they weren't told. They weren't told to be aggressive or to be submissive, but it naturally just started happening in yeah. that closed system, right? Yeah, yeah. Whenever you create any kind of power structure, it it, it uses the human ego to a, a huge extent. And so the ego is going to get involved and, and weaponize that power structure. So it's like when you have all these elite, you know, rich oligarchs over the generations who all want the exact same thing, which is more wealth and power, then you don't need some conspiracy, right? It's like they all want the same thing. They all run in the same circles. They they do business together. And so they all just kind of know how to play the game together in such a way that we always end up with the lion's share. And, uh, you know, the common person, so to speak, whatever you want to call people who aren't wealthy elites, uh, we're just busy raising kids and like trying to make sure we get our taxes in on time and buy groceries, like we don't have time to to do these things. We don't have the luxury to, because we don't have vast sums of wealth to, um, you know, at our disposal. So we've just, the planet has, has naturally and gradually had this lopsided imbalance that we now are in the process of correcting because those with huge sums of wealth and power have become so incredibly corrupt that we see these things like attempts at mass depopulation, uh, because of the need to like the larger the the population on the planet is the harder that planet is to conquer and so mm-hmm. they you know they've said in so many different ways we need to get the population down to a certain size and it's like what no we don't like we just need to be fair to everyone we we have more than enough resources to take care of everyone on this planet and and not pollute our planet and all this stuff easily we could do that but it's because 0.1% has 99% of the resources that the 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 0.1% of resources that the 99 are sharing seems like scarcity. Like, hey, you guys, we need to lower your population now because there's too many of you. So it's like there's this dystopian reality we live in now because that imbalance has gotten so drastic that it's now beginning to correct. And it corrects through awareness, right? Public awareness of people like you and I and our listeners waking up to the real nature of the world we live in the real agenda behind the curtain that's happening on the on the uh, public stage, so to speak. We see it in politics. We see it on the news. We see it everywhere now. So it's like we can't – it can't be denied or ignored anymore, which is a very good thing, right? Because like we said a minute ago, the world got this way because we had the luxury of ignoring it for so long. And you know, if you ignore a wound long enough and it keeps festering, eventually it's going to get to the point where you can't ignore that wound anymore. And that's where we yes. are. Yes, it becomes septic at that point, and then, right. you're, and then you're and then you're in trouble. Um, yeah. You know, this is this is uh, so interesting because, like, what 
is it that is really happening here uh, when it comes to, you know, like the act? Because, you know, nobody's forcing anybody, right? Nobody's trying to force yeah. you to do anything. It's It's all just like through implication or through this. We're all consent. Most people are just consenting to it. So we're right. Uh, what is what is exactly happening? You know, you talk about three D, four D, five D, and and I I was looking through your four uh, D university dot com there, and I saw oh you you help through you help with ascension right? You help to master ascension. Mm -hmm. What does that mean in relation to what's happening right now? Uh, are people yeah. being forced to ascend? <laughs> You know, is there this, um, is it, are we all being met with opportunities and some are choosing to do it? Some are not. I mean, and, and also what does it mean to be in 3d, 4d, 5d practically? Yeah. What, do, what are we talking about here? So, yeah, great questions to your first question is, are we being forced to ascend? Undoubtedly? Yes. Don't think that's even a question now who begins the real ascension journey in this lifetime and who doesn't, I think just depends on if you want to call it the age of the soul or whatever, but it's, there's clearly a difference in the level of spiritual intelligence everyone has. And that to me, that's another term synonymous with awareness. Awareness is spiritual intelligence. How aware are you of what's happening in reality around you? For a long time, there was things happening right in front of my face. I just couldn't see. I didn't quite have the vision, the awareness to really see them yet. So some people just don't have the awareness needed to really see the game that's being played. And so those forces we've talked about use them like little pawns on their chessboard, right? They could just point them, the enemy's over there, the enemy's over there. And they're just gonna run whatever direction they're pointed at because they're not quite aware enough, empowered enough yet to see, hey, the enemy's the one telling us what to do, right? Not where they're pointing us. So like, there's no judgment in wherever anyone's at, but I think the vast majority of humanity is waking up and is, is being forced to wake up through these, um, uh, challenges on our planet. To me, what it means to ascend is to become aware of who we are as spiritual beings. And that's how we actually find and establish freedom and sovereignty and self-empowerment is that we understand that freedom comes from within, right? Freedom is an inner state of self-knowledge that you understand nobody gives me my freedom. My freedom is not derived from a government or a municipal body or anything, or even a law system, right? My freedom is inherent to my being because I'm a, a divine creation of God. So that's, that's the vision our founding fathers wanted to set up our constitution as, set up our country as, that our rights are inalienable from us because we are endowed uh, with them by our creator. That was a big step forward, right? To say it's not from the king or the queen or the government. It's from God alone. Mm -hmm. And just by the virtue that I exist, I am a free being and no one can tell me what to do. So law is actually very simple to me. Freedom is very simple. It is uh, exactly what they asked Jesus in Matthew 6, I think, when uh, it says one of the teachers of the law comes to Jesus and says, teacher, tell me what is the greatest commandment of all? And he was trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus says, there are two. The first is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says, on these two commandments are all the law and prophets fulfilled. So 
that's all law is love yeah. your neighbor as yourself, right? Do no harm. If you do that, if you live by that, that rule, that commandment, you will never violate the law. But you say, well, Aaron, but 62% of all people in prison are there for nonviolent crimes where there was no injured party. Uh, how do we, how do we get that? Right. Again, because these systems have been weaponized by financial elites. We know that the prison system is an incredibly lucrative business model. And so our, our government, our judicial system is incentivized to imprison people because they can make lots of money off those bonds, right? So we, until we know where freedom comes from, what it is, how will we have the awareness to see how corrupt our prison system is? How would we have the awareness to see how corrupt our legal system is if we don't understand where freedom really comes from? We live in a world still where a lot of people, especially we saw this during COVID, right? They actually think their rights come to them from a government or from a document like the Constitution. And so it's like when they're asked to stand on their rights, they're like, well, uh, the Constitution says I can, right? I mean, it says I'm uh, allowed to do this. No, man, like you're, you're a free divine being because you are a child of God. That's it. That's all you need to know. So if someone forcing something on you or, or is telling you what to do, the reason that feels wrong for you on the inside is not because it violates your constitutional rights. It's because it violates the law of one in your spirit mm. that you know you're free and that that's a violation of your free will. Ooh, the law of one. He summoned the law of one. That's powerful, <laughs> man. No, it, that's a that's a thing. You know, it's like bodily autonomy. It's such a simple concept, but uh, if, if anything, the most important thing in this reality is like, Hey, I am my own individual. I am not a person, you know, I am a man. It's like right. the etymology of the words we use. Um, I have a question. What are your thoughts on protesting? Oh, great question. <laughs> well, it's similar to my thoughts on voting actually, which is, um, you know, people say, who'd you vote for? And I say, I don't vote. They're like, well, you're just gonna not do your your constitutional right obligation as a citizen to vote. And again, it's like, once you know where freedom comes from, then it, there's just a natural response in like, I'm not gonna vote for who gets to rule over me. Like I don't participate in that system. Nobody is my ruler. The, the, the president, the, the con Congress, Senator, all these people are supposed to be our public servants. Right. And so we've we've had it completely twisted upside down where now these are like seen as our rulers. It's like you have to vote on who's going to rule over you. No, I don't. Actually, you do because you don't know who you are. Mm. So similarly with protesting, it's like. When what you fight, you strengthen. Right. We've all heard this just by virtue of, of getting angry at the government and protesting them. We're already implying how much power they have over us. And that's the big problem I have with it. Now, I will say on a karmic level, I think there is some value to protesting or, you know, raising awareness on the streets. If you want to call that a protest, sure. Um, I've participated in some of those, but only because I understand the energetics of polarity, the, the light and the dark, uh, the positive and the negative. And I know you know this, Otto, but um, for those who aren't familiar with the metaphysics of polarity, we spiritually polarize towards the light or towards the darkness. That's it. We have two options, positive or negative, just like a, a electron or a proton is charged positively or negatively. Every particle has a charge. 
you are a, a being of consciousness, which is like a, a particle that has to choose which polarity you want to be. And that's a big part of what this realm is, by the way, is for the choosing between polarities. But on the positive path, we polarize spiritually. We become more positive, more full of light by honoring and protecting free will, by serving others and working for the highest good of all, because all is one. That's the positive polarity, oneness. The negative polarity polarizes more negative, can you guess? By infringing on free will, right? By capturing, controlling, manipulating people's free will, you become more negatively polarized because your view of the universe is one of separation versus oneness. So they're, they're exact opposites of one another. A rich, wealthy oligarch, you know, Bill Gates or something who wants to take over the planet and is doing all these things we see in the news every day is doing so. Why? Because he doesn't feel like he's one with all of humanity. He feels like these are a bunch of useless eaters taking up his planet and they need to be under his power because they're stupid and don't know what's good for them. And he does. It's separation consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. So here's a big part of how karma works on the negative polarity is that the negative path can't polarize or gain power by just stealing free will openly. Mm. Meaning I can't just come up to someone, bind them in handcuffs, throw them in a prison cell and say, no, I'm more powerful. I'm not more powerful. I have to have a conversation with this person and persuade them through trickery and deceit and flowery language that they should serve me. Because if you serve me, I'll make you powerful. And then there's a contractual, a spiritually contractual relationship now where there's a, a servant and a master kind of thing. That's how the negative path gains power. So that's why the, the forces of darkness in our world that are doing all of these things, the, the climate change agendas, ESG and all of that, they're, they're trying to trick us into consenting to it by couching it in virtue, right? Oh, if you mm. want to save the planet, you'll, you'll vote for all of our Green New Deal stuff. And if you want to be... Um, loving to your neighbor, you'll wear this mask, take this injection, lock yourself down. You'll do all the stuff we're telling you to do because you want to be a good person, right? And if you fall for that trick, then you, you've given them power, right? So they actually have gained power freely by tricking you into giving them your free will. So a big part of this is that the negative path always has to slightly subliminally show you what they're doing. They can't just completely deceive you, right? I've heard this example somewhere. Um, if I have an apple stand selling apples and I say, come eat these healthy organic apples, but they're actually poisonous. Uh, and then someone eats my apple and, and dies. I just committed murder. Mm. But if I put on the sign, eat these delicious poisonous apples, wink face or whatever. And some guy's like, oh, obviously they're not really poisonous. So let me eat one. And he eats it. And then he dies. Technically, according to the law of karma, he just committed suicide. Right, because I told him it was poisonous. I was very deceitful about it. I wasn't honest about it. But you know, you could say that I, I told him. So that's how the negative path works. It's still deception, but they they have to show their hand a little bit every so often. And so if you start paying attention to these things, you'll start seeing the ways that they show their hand and show their cards a bit. And that's how that's how the light can take this planet back is by standing on the truth letting the truth speak for itself. Like once we understand who we are, we don't have to fight these people. We understand all of the truth is on our side. Truth and righteousness is on our side. So we don't need to fight you because we transcend you just by virtue of knowing the truth. 
because you're based in illusions. You're based in deceit and in separation, which has no power in and of itself. It has to steal power, right? Once we understand the real game on a spiritual level, on an energetic level, then we will not have this need to protest anymore because we know that we have the power. The power is in unity, but we're still at this phase where humanity doesn't quite see that yet. And so mm -hmm. it feels like the, the best thing we can do is to protest. And I think to a karmic degree, there's some benefit in that because what that says is, at least it says, hey, we're, we don't consent to what you're making us do. Yeah, we're yeah. still giving you power and fighting you, but at least we're saying no in some way. And that actually shifts the karmic load back onto the negative polarity, which is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, wow. That's um, you know, I never actually thought about <clears throat> thought about it in that specific way where I guess if you are, you know, if you are aware of the actions you're doing and you're like, "Okay, I'm going to do these actions. I'm gonna, I'm going to be intentional with these actions." Then then you can just do anything <laughs> at that point, right? You're not right. you're not just being reactive to something. You're like intentionally doing. So even protesting, that's interesting, can be a positive if you intentionally do it with the right mindset. Yeah. Um, let's go one layer, one layer deeper here into all of this. Uh, um, so, you know, what is it, how do we practically explain, cause I have an example that I usually give to my students, uh, just to kind of air out that specific, uh, you know, disconnect from the current legal system to the lawful system. Mm -hmm. I say this, I say, okay, think of the word world. Okay. And then think of the word earth. And then I say, okay, now describe world. And then they start describing earth. <laughs> right. And, and then right, so right off the bat, I'm like, there it is. You're describing world, you know, or, or you're, I'm sorry, you're describing earth. Cause they, they, they start to describe a globe Round. or like, Oh, I'm yeah. standing on, on the world. We're all in this together. There's all these little new, you know, uh, uh phrases or, or, or ways to describe world that is actually describing earth. So right there is already the deceit in how we perceive reality. So yeah. again, yeah, I guess my question would be, how do you describe how, like, what do you, what is your elevator pitch when it comes to helping someone having that awareness, you know, to kind of like get a, get a little bit of a shock because it, it's a process. Like I had to go through a process myself to really yeah. feel it in my body, the, the difference. Uh, but so what's, what's your approach? Yeah, that, that is a good question. It's, it's definitely different for each person I have this conversation with, which is a lot of people lately, which is really cool. Um, you know, when we talked about how these things happen slowly over time, I think it's helpful to, to explain some of those things to give people, like if you can get them to really understand and like bite down on just one or two major concepts, like how money has been corrupted or something, then once they see that that's possible with one thing, they're open to seeing that that could be possible with everything, with every other yeah. system of society and whatnot. So right. like when we talk about the legal system, I'll usually just begin by saying, okay, so for example, were you aware that every single, what you think of as a federal um, organization or institution uh, from courts to banks to police stations to the federal government itself are you aware that all of these entities without exception are actually private for-profit commercial businesses with a dun and bradstreet number that you can look up and almost everyone goes no i wasn't aware of that 
say, okay, so there's an example of how the legal system has hijacked our country because basically there's, there's three jurisdictions of law, mainly speaking. Um, I like to use the, the system of land, air, and sea because it just works. Uh, in, in the Bible, God says, go into the earth and take dominion over her. Take dominion over the land, air, and the sea, right? Air is the highest jurisdiction of law, which is called ecclesiastical law or trust law, establishing trusts and uh, trust relationships. Uh, the second jurisdiction is land, which is what we call common law, which is like status, property, and um, equity. And then the third jurisdiction of law is water, which is admiralty maritime law, also known as contract law or commercial law. And that's pretty obvious to see, right? Because water has been the main form of, of doing business and contracts for thousands and thousands of years of human history. We travel by boat to trade goods with one another and do business. And there's a whole system of like, okay, when you get off the boat, you, you have the contract ready, you give it to the dock tender and they, you know, and then you do business like that. So water jurisdiction represents contract law or commercial law. Now it's the lowest form of law in terms of its jurisdiction. But because of the nature of signing a contract, it can also become the most powerful form of law if used a in a certain way. Meaning, if you get into a contract with someone, that contract becomes the whole governing law system of whatever that contract entails. So like, it doesn't matter if um, a contract violates your rights under common law if you agreed mm. to enter a contract with someone and you yeah. signed your name on it saying yeah you can own my rights to my car and my house or whatever common law can't save you at that point because you entered a contract so you're going to need to use contract law to get out of it right mm -hmm. so this is what the elites have done over the last 150 some odd years in, a, in our country and in almost every country is that they have incorporated everything from the government to uh, the courts, the banks, uh, police stations, law enforcement, everything. They've turned it all into a, a business essentially, but they name everything something that sounds not like a business, like United .gov. States. Yeah, yeah or .gov, like IRS, Federal Reserve Bank. Like it all sounds like federal and stuff, which is again, is the way that the negative polarity tricks you into giving your power. Well, I got this thing in the mail from the IRS. They're from the government, right? So I have to do whatever they say. It's no different than if Dunkin' Donuts sent you a letter in the mail and said, you owe us $50,000. You'd be like, go fly a kite, bro. I don't owe you anything. So that's the introduction I'll usually use to give people an idea of just how deep the rabbit hole goes. Like we literally actually live in a kind of matrix that's pulled right before our eyes that we're just used to because we've been in this matrix our whole life. And although we've always always smelt something was fishy, right? Like something about this world just feels wrong and unfair. But what is it exactly? Well, when you understand what real law is versus the legal system we have in place, it answers all those questions. You're like, huh, suddenly all of life makes sense of why things look and feel so corrupt and so unfair. Now I actually get it. And that's a very empowering moment for people. Wow, this is, yes, wow, that was a really good breakdown that I'm gonna probably use myself. Uh, but yeah, man, that's exactly what it is. That When we can start to embody where we are on the hierarchy, it's all about that hierarchy, the law hierarchy, yeah. contract law, 
okay, cool. That's where I need to focus on and, and, and disconnect from. So then I can go, you know, uh, uh, re-embody the rest. Right. You know, I, I don't know if you know this detail, you know, Robert Michael, right from house of Marcus. Yeah. Good friends. Yes. Um, so he, I went to of house of Marcus. Yeah, me too. All right. <laughs> uh, if you guys are listening, you want to be part of house of Marcus, totally recommend it's $33 recommend. a month. Yeah. Highly recommend. Uh, it's a great community of people that are not only just discussing this nonstop, but they're doing yeah. it. Doing they're it. Actually doing it. Uh, but I wanted to pull this up. So I went to his event that he had in Lakeside, Arizona in August. I almost went to that. Oh uh, yeah. It was great. It was but really great. It. Yeah. He was, he was so good in, um, his presentation. It was his first time doing it. So, uh, it was really interesting to be there, but he mentioned, uh, geodetic benchmarks. Okay. So geodetic benchmarks, it's, um, these markers that there's like thousands of them all over the U S and they're usually up in high elevation, like above 5,000 feet up to 8,000 feet. Oh yeah. 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 And, and on these markers, it's like there's Chinese write, Chinese writing on it uh, to officiate it. You know, there's like an official words and stuff, but it's, it's in Chinese. And then right in the middle, it says sea level zero. <laughs> Mind blowing. So that's been around since the, that's been there since the 1930s, where that's when um, Chinese started buying up the national parks. He also said that. I don't know, but I haven't done that research. But man, if that's true, <laughs> that is true. Um, there it is. It's, it's these geodetic markers that essentially put us all under the ocean, underwater, right? underwater. So wanted to mention that I thought that was a really interesting point there. Um, yeah, that blew my mind. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, so what does to you, what, what do you, what, how would you describe with everything that you've just described this lack of awareness to the systems? Um, you know, I, I've, been back and forth for a long time uh when it came to capitalism and i was mm -hmm. i was like going into an alignment with mainstream media it's like yeah forget capitalism like let's go back to something to bartering or something different mm -hmm. you know but slowly little by little over the last like two or three years just seeing everything happen i was like no capitalism is not bad it's not it's not capitalism that's bad it's mm -hmm. something else, you know, there's something else here. So yeah. what does toxic capitalism mean to you? Well, that's a great question. Uh, you could almost say capitalism that is weaponized is what we could consider toxic capitalism. Well, let's go back to what you said a minute ago about how uh, everyone is consenting to this stuff. That's true objectively, but relatively speaking, Nobody would really consent to all of this if they really knew what was going on, right? It, what was really being done to them and what was really happening and who it was really benefiting. Absolutely no one would consent to this system we have. It's because they don't fully know and understand what's actually happening. And that's one of the four major rules of a contract of contract law is full disclosure. So right there on the on one of the four maxims of contract law, Full open disclosure. You can't get anyone into a contract that you're tricking them into and not telling them the full details. And like, you, there has to be full open and honest disclosure about here's exactly what's in this contract, what it says, what it implies, what it's going to do. Do you consent? And then you sign your name. 
we've all been duped into signing these contracts since literally since the birth certificate that we were not given full disclosure about. We didn't understand what was really going on. And so we consented, sure, but it's still fraud and it's still unfair and it's still wrong, right? So now it has to be about raising awareness of, of getting full disclosure of, hey, do you know what it means to be a US citizen? You think you want to be a US citizen until you know what it really means. And guess what? They've never told you what it really means. So this is one of the ways, if we wanna just breeze over this <laughs> in a short conversation, this is one of the other ways that, that the system has been inverted on us is that when the country was founded, there was only one kind of status in the country, which was called a state national because mm. United States of America was initially just a bunch of states who said, hey, let's just be a union and, and work with each other. But they're like different countries and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So you were a state national. You were a Californian, a Texan, an Oklahoman, a Iowan, whatever. You were a national of your state, American state national. That was the highest power in the land above the president, above anybody is we the people. Everything else exists only and solely to serve the people. The people is what matters. The people is who the country is founded for. And so one of the maxims of law says that which one creates, one controls. So American state nationals created the federal government, created our judicial system, legislative system, and all of that. So the people technically control those systems. And that's the way our country is supposed to work and operate is that, you know, right now, for example, we have a Congress full of senators and congressmen who will go into a secret room and come up with a giant bill with 50 new statutes and laws in it we have to follow. And then they run out onto the House floor and they pass it in the middle of the night. And then now we have to abide by all these laws. It's like, uh, if you guys can just go into a room and decide what laws I have to abide by, it's a no for me, bro. Mm -hmm. It's a no for me. That's not, that's not freedom. That's not equity. So how do they do that? It's because they've slowly weaponized and corrupted the the uh, legislative branch of government because we the people aren't holding them accountable. The way it's supposed to work is that we the people are supposed to uh, review every law and statute our Congress tries to pass and say yes or no. Say, oh, we, d we don't agree with that. Take that one back to the drawing board, please. Try again. And then they have I mean, to go back. Back in the day, back in the day, everybody was an attorney. Everybody, or not attorney, but a lawyer, right? Everybody knew what they were talking about. So that makes sense. But nowadays. Right, <laughs> right. This stuff has not been taught to us in our education system, right? We've been um, created to be willfully ignorant of all this stuff. So we just don't know that we're supposed to be holding them accountable. And so what happens when you don't hold something accountable? It becomes a power system over time. And so uh, they created this second class of citizenship, a, a inferior status uh, in uh, after the Civil War. It's called a U.S. citizen. And this is another huge red pill for people when they learn about this with Abraham Lincoln and the Civil War, but <clears throat> mm. freeing the slaves was not actually the real agenda of the Civil War, but creating slaves was the real agenda. Oh, can I say it? Can I say it? Yeah, right. go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I get so, I I get so excited. <laughs> yes, Abraham Lincoln, he, he abolished physical slavery but why yeah. to restructure to metaphysical slavery? That's how I like to say it. <laughs> I like that. That's a good pitch for it. Yeah. What they did was they abolished involuntary servitude. Involuntary, that's, right, right. That's the 13th Amendment. No slavery allowed. No involuntary slavery. But remember what we said. A contract is different. 
Otto, you and I could do a contract today where you agree to be my slave. And if you sign it, you're my slave, man. It doesn't matter what the constitution says. We're in a private contract, right? So that's what the government did to its citizens, essentially, is that the 14th Amendment then all over again made us slaves through voluntary servitude. So what they did was they said, hey, um, all you slaves we just freed, do you guys want to be U.S. citizens? And they went, yeah, of course, we'll take anything. Anything but slavery sounds great. And so that's when they did the three-fifths compromise and they became U.S. citizens where they can actually vote and all of that. Well, all that they did was create through that civil war a new citizenship called U.S. citizen. What is the United States? All capital letters. It's the corporation, not the actual mm. country. The United States of America is the real country. The all capitals United States is a private for-profit commercial business posing as the federal government. And because we all think they are a federal government and we treat them like they are, they can pretend to be one, right? We're cooperating with it and we don't realize it. So that which one creates one controls. So American nationals created the government so they control the government. But if the government makes a corporation and then creates a citizenship and then we say, hey, we'll be your citizens. Now they control us. They flip the I've, script. I've, I've never heard it. Uh, explain in this way. I've listened to Robert Michael over and over, and this is the first time that I've seen that layering of like oh, nice. who, own, who owns what. Wow, you kind of yes. blew my mind a little bit there. Keep going, sorry. Well, well so like look at the word um, citizen. The words uh, C-I-T-I, -I, I believe in Latin, means municipal. And then zen, Z-E-N, means a servant of or a servant. So the word citizen literally means municipal servant. So you are a municipal servant of the United States corporation. So you're basically saying I'm your employee. So mm -hmm. now as a U.S. citizen, you do have to follow all their bylaws and statutes and whatnot. Okay. So, okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but, um, no, go ahead. My, this actually leads into my next question, which is going to be about taxes. So okay, my, nice. under, my, my understanding is taxes is it, how you're describing. It totally makes sense. Now it's like the doctrine are connecting for me that, uh, my understanding is that only employees of that corporation are supposed to be paying the taxes, right? So if we are the citizens of the corporation, we're an employee. And, and it's funny because it's all about etymology. They're using the words person, people on the documents. But when you look back to the original use of them, then you go, oh, okay, wait, there's more here. It's not just me as the individual physical, but this title that I agreed to being a part yeah. of it. Right. Yeah, a person is a legal fiction, a corporation, a, a, a business. Like those are also persons under legalese, right. under legal terminology. Um, what's funny, Otto, is I was in Puerto Rico uh, about two weeks ago over New Year's for on a cruise that I went on. And uh, we're walking around Puerto Rico, beautiful country, just having a great time. And then I, I, I walked past Internal Revenue Service. And... Uh, it was just another is that reminder. Where, is that where like, they are? Is that that's where it's that's where it's at, right? Where it's registered? Yes, bro. Like the, the private, yeah. The IRS is stationed <laughs> so in Puerto funny. Rico. So that's this so is bananas. this is, this will help people understand this even greater. Remember how we said the, U, the United States? Whenever you see that in all capitals, is a corporation, not the actual country. We could say, for all intents and purposes, the actual country, United States of America, has sort of been abandoned. 
because it was these mm-hmm. people made a corporation using its name and then just started operating there. It's like uh, if Dunkin Donuts started being our government, we just let them be and just let them do whatever they want. They don't actually have any real power or authority over us that we don't give to them because they're just a business like McDonald's or something. But our our country has been hijacked by this corporation called United States. And so when we talk about territories like Hawaii, Puerto Rico, I think Alaska also, these are not actually states, but territories that, that the United States corporation went and captured and said, this is part of our business now, our, our corporation. And that's why the IRS can't be stationed in the United States of America in one of the 50 states, because what they're doing is racketeering, right? It's it's unlawful. It's against our constitution. It's involuntary servitude to force a population to pay money. That's slavery. If you're forced to pay money, you're a slave. So they can't be stationed in the United States of America. They have to be stationed out of our country. And so they do that by capturing somewhere like Puerto Rico, making it a territory of the United States, and then they station IRS there. So we still think it's a governmental thing, right? Because we think, well, it's part of the United States. Wow. No, it's not. It's it's all a corporation posing as the United States of America. And so if you're claiming to be a U.S. citizen, you're their employee, you got to pay their taxes, right? You're under contract with them. But a big part of status correction, what Robert Michael teaches and many other law teachers teach is how to put on the record, a public record, some kind of sworn affidavit that's notarized where you say, I am not a U.S. citizen. I am a state national. Um, I reside here. I'm a private man. I'm not under this corporation in any way. Uh, you can also send in revocation of election letter to the IRS, letting them know, hey, I unvolunteer from your voluntary system because I am not a U.S. citizen. And that's the only people you have jurisdiction over. Here's my proof, right? And you just notify them and you move on with your life. And then if they ever do contact you and say, hey, you owe us, you owe us money. The first thing is that the IRS can't just take money from your bank account. They, they always have to notify you because why? They have to get you under contract. Yeah, so if gotta, you, you gotta say out, yes. You yeah. gotta say yes to, in some way. So if you fill out any IRS form, you're signing a contract with them. If you even even if you try to fight them, you're still claiming they have some jurisdiction over you. The way that I learned from Robert Michael is to basically say, Hey, not really sure who you are, but I see you have a Dun and Bradstreet number here, which is your business number. So um if we have a business contract where I've agreed to pay you money, I'll gladly pay any debts I lawfully owe. But here's my proof of record on the public land records that I'm not a U.S. citizen, that I'm an American state national. And so I don't believe we have any contracts. And uh, as far as I've ever heard from anyone who's done this or taught this, they'll never bother you again because they don't want to risk taking someone like you to court who can blow the lid off their fraudulent game that they're playing. And then then it creates a precedent. It's a precedent. They don't want to create a precedent. They got 330 million other idiots who think that they are supposed to pay taxes that they can go harass for money. They're just going to say, all right, we won't bother you. You don't bother us. We're good. So we're going to get to a point auto where enough people like you and I are leaving the system and not paying taxes and, and stuff that they're going to be forced to change their approach, right? They can't afford to keep leaving us alone anymore. And so I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's going to be exciting when it happens. Cause that's when, Everything's going to really spiral out of control. Oh, it feels like we're almost there. Uh, We might be. 
you're seeing, I've never, I would, I never, I never would, could have imagined that on mainstream media, Fox news, I'd see them talking about abolishing the IRS or the Republicans creating a bill around abolishing the IRS for sure. It's not going to go through, but, but the fact that it's, you know, being talked about and the conversation is circulating. That is a good thing. Did you know that, um, uh, Reagan in 1984, he did this thing called the grace commission and it was an investigation into the flow of money into the IRS. Uh, they found that zero, literally just said 0% of your money (laughs) is going to infrastructure or any, pretty much anything you believe that is, is, is going to maintenance. Uh, it's actually uh, one, uh, it's like one third of it, uh, was, was basically destroyed because it was improperly stored. (laughs) Uh, one third of it, um, went back into its own system to pay the employees. And then one third of it, uh, got siphoned into like a bunch of different other things that had to do with employee employees, um, uh, um, their, their income, you know, their, their money that they get. Uh, mm-hmm. It's all, yeah, it all went back to the employees of the, of that government to keep the government. It's like, what are we doing? <laughs> you know, feeding into a system that is feeding itself. It's not actually going and feeding right. the people. Well, we, we used to say, you know, you've got to pay your taxes cause you got to support your country and, and how are the roads going to get built? And it's like, no, 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 no. The government doesn't actually build the roads and stuff. Like the government doesn't do anything. They just hire contractors to do it. Right. So it's still happening in the private anyways, but now people understand like it's, it's been public knowledge long enough. I think that most people understand that our taxes don't actually go to helping the country at all. Like we used to think now they say, well, it's going to pay off our debt and we got to get out of debt. And it's like, no, yet again, that's not our debt. We're under no obligation to pay off the United States corporation's debt. Am I under obligation to pay McDonald's debt? Of course I'm not, right? I'm not under no contract with them. When the country was founded uh, after the Revolutionary War, you know, we were in debt like $21 million to England, ironically enough, because <laughs> I'm not exactly sure how that happened, but yeah, we couldn't I was pay them. Say, I was like... <laughs> There's probably a whole conspiracy there, but um, we couldn't pay them. We didn't have the money. So the Federal Reserve bankers, the banking elites, the Rothschilds, Rockefellers, Morgans, Carnegie's, they came to the government and said, hey, we see you're in a little predicament. You need a, a big loan to pay off. So luckily for you, we're very rich and wealthy. We can gladly take care of that loan for you. But we're going to need something in exchange. And the government said, well, what's that? They said, we need you to make your people our debt slaves. So here's how we're going to do it. We're going to loan you this money. We're going to charge you a ridiculous interest rate, which you will never be able to pay back at a trillion light years. But that's a good thing because you'll be in perpetual debt to us and then you'll have a a perpetual excuse to tax your citizens, right? Because they're going to pay off the debt somehow. It's their country, right? So then we'll have this perfect little backhand deal where we can print you all the money you want to do all the things you want and you pay us all the taxes every year and we'll both make out like bandits. So the government and the Federal Reserve did this deal where secretly they want to be in debt because that gives them a right to tax. And then the Federal Reserve is going to print them all the money they want. We saw this happen over the pandemic, right? They printed like $12 trillion out of thin air in a few years. And if you can print something in infinite supply that everyone needs to live, that's called slavery, right? If one system controls all the resource that everybody else needs, that's slavery. 
So we're, we're in this fight now to wake up to how they've done this and realize, hey, we didn't get into debt to the Federal Reserve. That was a decision that the United States Corporation made 100-something years ago. I'm not involved in that. I'm under no obligation to pay off your debt. Secondly, who are they in debt to, Otto? They're in debt to the Federal Reserve. It's like <laughs> yeah. our debt is basically our, our debt to ourselves because it's our own money printing company that we're saying we're in debt to. So it doesn't make any sense. The $21 million the Feds loaned United States all those years ago has been paid off thousands of times over from taxes every year. But because that interest rate, it just keeps going up. So it's like we have to, we have to realize this game and stop playing it. And that's mm -hmm. what taxes are, is you're playing the game the elites want you to play. So they're going to use these scare tactics and stuff to keep you thinking you have to pay taxes. But what's funny is there's documentaries on this you can watch where they interview real IRS agents who are like, yeah, someone told me that there's no law that says I have to pay taxes and that it's all voluntary. And I did some research myself and sure enough, I couldn't find a law that says I have to pay taxes. That's because it's not lawful, right? It's a, it's a business model that you've been duped into participating. Yes, um, you you know using um, using words and confusing uh, definitions of those words to suck you into the uh, implication, which is why it's so important etymology and like really really getting or, or giving yourself the opportunity to understand the the true root meanings of the words and like words are powerful, right. not just not just the words themselves, but like when we speak the words when they actually come out yep. of our mouths, very powerful things. Yep. I love this conversation. I love talking about money and all of this BS. Uh, look, if you guys want to know more about that, there is a great uh, book, and I think it might be in a documentary, uh, uh, The Meeting at Jekyll Island. It's all about yes. the Federal Reserve history and how it was created. Like everything you just described is is basically, I mean, that's basically the summary of like how, how it came to be. <laughs> There's also a really good YouTube cartoon video on it. Um. I can't remember what oh, it's called. Uh, it might be straw, the, the straw man. Are you talking about the straw man one? No, it's, it's, no. um, it might be called the secret of the federal reserve or something. Um, I have the link, maybe we can post it in your show notes or something, but it's like a 30 minute cartoon. That is an amazing, uh, explanation of how this all came to be and how, who the fed really is that highly, highly recommend everybody watch. The, the one that I watched back in the day, this was like 2008, 2007 zeitgeist. You ever watched that oh, one? Oh yeah. Classic, yes. Classic. That, I think that like red pilled just pretty much everybody around our age. <laughs> you know, oh, all the 30, sure. 35 year olds now are like, yeah, Zeitgeist, that was mine. That was mine. Where it all started. <laughs> you know, I like to I like to share this analogy um, that I usually share with my students when it comes to like becoming aware of the system and how you stand in it. Uh, so, so here it goes. Bear with me here for a second. So imagine the Wild West, okay? Wild West. You look out, as far as the eye can see, you don't see anything but tumbleweed, uh, mountains, and you're, and you're just walking. And then in the distance, you see a town. And you, okay, cool, a town. And you start walking towards the town. You get there, and everybody is transacting with bananas. They have fish on their head, for whatever reason, and walking around with puppies tied to their ankles. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a nice town. Yeah, poor puppies. But I'm like, I'm good. This is, this is weird. I'm going to keep walking. So you keep walking and then you see another town and then you walk up there and you got people with these square cars, I guess, with wheels and they put this liquid into the car and then they go into these buildings that are 
boxes and from nine to five and they get this paper money thing that they transact with. And so you get there and you're like, Oh, this is, this is nice. I think I'll stay here for 30 years. <laughs> and then, and then we just stay there for 30, 40 years, 50 years. I feel like right now we're waking up. Oh, I'm still in this town. And all the things yeah. that I agree to when I arrived here, I'm now normalized as being like the thing that I'm supposed to do. So in the awakening and the awareness of it, we actually have not only the opportunity to go to another town, but create our own. <laughs> yeah. Does that resonate? I mean, I, that's what I usually say to explain all this. Um, and it usually helps. It usually gives the person a, a little bit of a shock. Totally. It's like, we're not, we're not obligated to follow any system in particular, just because that's the one we were born into and everything evolves with time. So we have to assume that at some point humanity is going to invent a better system. And guess what? That's the only way to defeat the system that we live in now. Anyways, we, we will never beat it from inside of it. We just won't, right? We have to create a new system or systems that more people resonate with and, and flock to over time, such that the old corrupt system is just made obsolete and sort of dies a, a slow, gradual death because no one's participating in it anymore. That's a nonviolent solution to changing the world we live in that could start happening immediately, right? If we're willing to really innovate and take those bold steps into saying, okay, we're going to make our own system of money or banking or whatever it is, government, and just start doing it and just invite people to join us. And yeah, when 99.9% .9 of people aren't in that system and they're in the old one, that's that could be a scary time for a while. But once a little bit of inertia is gained and there's some critical mass where a lot of people are participating in that system, guess what? Now you have a separate system working alongside the corrupt one that is an alternative. And now that corrupt system can't really do anything about it unless they just want to wage open war against it, which would wake people up even faster. So like that's, I think, what the universe is inviting us to do right now is, look, stop complaining about how corrupt the systems are. That's an obvious, that's a given. Just make a better system that incentivizes unity and service to others and fairness. And I think cryptocurrency is one of those systems, right? Yes, the great segue there. Um, <laughs> so that's actually going to be, was my segue to talk about a little bit about crypto and more specifically technology and this, this, this duality of technology. Because what I feel is happening right now is you having all these innovations being created, right? You have crypto, you have chat GPT, right? Artificial intelligence. Yeah. Um, and Elon Musk pushing transhumanism. So I see technology having this, you know, two paths you can take. You can go mm -hmm. down this road where you, it, you start to literally embed it into your body or you use it as a tool, which in my opinion is the way it's supposed to be, you know, used. Um, so what, what is your perspective on just transhumanism technology and even crypto and the yeah. which we're moving towards? Yeah. Interesting conversation. I think always, that <laughs> always, huh? I think humanity has a tendency to try to use technology to bypass a lot of its self-responsibility and, uh, you know, inner growth and whatnot. Like people want technology to do for them what they can't or won't do for themselves a lot of the time. Mm. And that's when we choose convenience over responsibility and integrity, you know? So transhumanism represents a large part of that, I think, where 
rather than understanding and learning what real health is, what the body is really capable of, and uh, living a vibrant, holistic, healthy life naturally, let's just take a bunch of drugs, use a bunch of technology to try and fix the body's problems and just keep barreling through life and hope that technology can just solve all my problems. When really I'm creating all of my problems, right? By being unhealthy, by living an unhealthy lifestyle, physically, mentally, spiritually. So it's like this great excuse to not be self-responsible or empowered. But that doesn't mean that technology can't be used for good. Obviously it can and is being used for good. We just have to be very cognizant of how it can be easily weaponized by the elite ruling class that wants to take over the world and create this kind of like global communist society we all live in. Technology could take us there very quickly if we're not careful. So it's, it's this um, tightrope walk, I think, between the positive and negative uses of technology. We've already seen crypto, you know, which no one really thought it could be used for evil at the beginning. And now we're seeing ways that they're figuring out how to. But again, that yeah. doesn't mean crypto is evil, right? It's also could be um, a technology that is equally liberating for humanity as it could be enslaving for humanity. We, the way we use technology will always reflect our state of consciousness. So mm. for me, that's why I'm so invested in helping humanity raise their level of consciousness, ascend spiritually, because then we will use technology for its highest good, not for evil. And guess what? Until we raise our consciousness, it doesn't matter if we overthrow the, the corrupt system today. Someone's going to build a new corrupt system anyways, because our consciousness is too low still, right? So we have to truly see the value of love and unity and service to others and the kind of world we could build that would be a kind of heaven world for everybody if we could truly join together and be unified on this planet. Uh, that has to be more interesting to us than a a power system type of planet where we're under now. Yeah. It's like, um, uh, the difference between escapism using this technology to escape, you know, I've, I've said this recently to someone I was, and, um, cause I, I heard it somewhere and I was like, and it resonated really, really well. Uh, it's, it's almost as if reality, like the real world has become the fiction of, you know, the metaverse and the Correct. meta, the metaverse, that reality is becoming the reality. And people are taking mm -hmm. more seriously what happens there as opposed to what happens here in this physical form. It's very true. Yeah, man. Technology, you know, um, I, I think I, I believe the true war here, the true, true war is a war on dependency. It's like, how yeah. dependent am I on things outside of my body? <laughs> yeah. You know, the more, the more dependent you are on systems, any systems or people or anything that's outside of you, then you're giving your power away. You're giving your power to that thing to, to dictate what you do in that level, you know, whether it be emotional, right. physical, mental, spiritual, whatever. Um, so technology is interesting. Yeah. It's a very, you got to really be conscious of how we're using it, how we're doing, how we're working with it. Uh, and I feel like I can ask, I can go down this little rabbit hole with you for a second because of who you are and, and, and what you speak about. Have you heard of uh, Tartaria, you know, ancient civilizations? Uh -huh. old civilization. So I, I've heard about this old civilization called Tartaria. And um, there's this guy that I follow that talks about the, the, the mud floods, the great mud floods of the past and how a lot of our, those, that civilization is now like basically underground because of these mud floods uh, that happened wow. like 
globally, basically. But the, I don't want to call it theory or fact or, you know, the history of it is that they allow, basically they, they got so technical, technologically advanced that they allow the technology to kind of take over their civilization, essentially. Like they, they became yeah. fully dependent on it and then they imploded. Like they, it was a self-destruction. Um, so, so with everything that you've been experiencing with Elon Musk, talk about what he's, what he's talking about and the way that things are moving in this reality, do you see us waking up to how we're using technology collectively or, or do you see another Tartaria? Well, I would, being honest, I probably would say I, I would lean towards another Tartaria or Atlantis, um, but it's not <laughs> like I'm sold on that. And I believe that strongly. It's just what it seems like we're leaning towards now, but that could change at any moment collectively. If a uh, certain events happen or critical masses reach, we could wake up very quickly. I think that all civilizations kind of fall under two metrics, which I would just call IQ versus SQ. Or mm. we could say mind and heart in that the ratio between IQ and SQ as a civilization evolves shouldn't ever get too unbalanced one way or the other, because the more unbalanced it becomes one way or the other, um, the more that a uh, civilization collapse is likely. So SQ represents spiritual intelligence, IQ intellectual intelligence. So SQ is like a measure of the heart. How connected are we to our planet, to one another, to what's morally right from a heart-centered perspective? And uh, maybe we can build these technologies, but should we? Is that moral? Is that helpful to humanity? These are things that a society like ours with really high IQ and really low SQ never even blink at or consider, right? When, when as soon as a new technology comes about, there's hardly even a, a gasp spent considering whether it's we should or shouldn't do it. It's like, well, we can do it, so we're going to. Boom. Yeah. yeah. And then we have one more thing that can be weaponized, right, and used against us. So that's what probably happens to Atlantis, to Tartaria. And, you know, on the other flip side, civilizations that are highly spiritual and philosophical but don't develop technologically, um, maybe you could say like Native Americans or something, they can tend to be wiped out by global cataclysms, by natural disasters or invaders, right? Because they just can't defend themselves the same. So we do have to strike a balance of both where our technology can't so surpass our morality that it actually consumes us in the end. And uh, I am encouraged that through the, the whole 2020, you know, last few years, people are waking up and are, are coming together on social media, on the internet, saying like, hey, we want a better planet than this. We don't want this kind of a world for our kids to live in. We got to become more moral, more centered on integrity and truth and love because the, the path we're going down is super dark. And that collective agreement we're making right now is really beautiful to witness and I think is only going to continue to grow as time goes on. Oh, I'm so happy that I asked you this question because your answer was so good. I, I didn't, I wasn't even thinking, you know, I knew about the intellectual side and like too much intellect, you're, you're going to become Tartaria or, or, or Atlantis, but on the other side, too much heart. Wow. Yeah. You're right. You're so right. And it's funny because like in this journey of healing that I've been on myself in these last four or five years, I've met a lot of people on that side be like, I want to go into the jungle and just live off the land and, mm -hmm. and uh, holy to God. And we're just Zen all the time. And it's like, 
awesome. You know, I'm like, yeah, but not for me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This is not for me, man. I'm, I'm, I like that. I like some of the conveniences, but using it with intention. Right. Um, which I believe that's, that's really the key there is like, okay, why are we doing this thing? Why are we doing this action? Is it, is it, is there a balance of heart intellect there? You know, not leaning too hard on, on one side or the other. So, wow. Thank you for that answer. That was amazing, amazing answer. And honestly, you know, I don't even, I don't even want to go deeper into the crypto stuff because that's, uh, the, the crypto conversation to me right now is shifting a lot because mm-hmm. especially because of what's happened in this last year and the, and all these projects that are very centralized at, to where I'm really, really looking at it as like, no, we really just have to disconnect from all of that first. Like we really need to embody our, our, who we are in this hierarchy to then become aware of where does worth actually come from? Like right. what is value? What gives something value? It's yeah. like, there are some, there are some basic, basic questions that we're just not asking. And then, you know, and then, so we're all in this, uh, or most people, at least that I've spoken to are in this desperate state in pursuit of the answer, but can't push through that initial block of like, do you even know what, what is value? What is worth? Yeah. Cause I, I always say if, if the worth is outside of your body, then you're, you're going to be in constant pursuit of that worth. Oh yeah. That's a black hole. Yeah, that's a, a very important conversation, I think. What what is value? Because that's how the legal system's really gotten us, I think, right? We uh we took the dollar off the gold standard, nineteen thirty three, uh was it the Banking Emergency Relief Act or whatever? For March hoarding 9th. gold. Yeah, so yeah, they, they, took they all eliminated the, gold the hoarding stuff. gold. So when and then Nixon officially took us off the gold standard and people are people are used to thinking of what's valuable as what is a shiny object I can possess or something, right? Uh, and value is is much deeper than that. So the way that they did this was because they took the dollar off the gold standard, which we thought was the most valuable thing we could place money off of, right? Base our dollar off of. Well, we were wrong. And at some point, these banking elites figured out, hey, you know what? There's something way more valuable than gold, which we can base our money off of, our currency off of. And can you guess what that thing is, Otto? You. (laughs) Bingo. People, right? I mean, a bar of gold is beautiful and looks nice, but it can't start a business, make a product, sign a contract, take out a loan, uh, make money, have a job, contribute to society. It can't do anything but sit there and look shiny. So how much more valuable must you be than gold if you can do all those things? So this is what the banking cartels figured out. They said, if we could somehow base our currency off the collateral of humans, human labor, and the value that a human can produce in their lifetime, well, baby, we've got something way more valuable than gold. And that's what they did, right? They took the dollar off the gold standard and secretly, silently started basing it off of human labor. So that's when the birth certificate thing started happening where they said, hey, every person who's born, we're going to assign them a dollar value from birth based on you know the minimum amount of value that that person will produce in their whole life. Meaning every kind of way that money could possibly flow through you, every cent that could possibly flow through you. Every business transaction, every paycheck, every loan you take out, every deal you sign, 
everything you can think of. How much is that worth? And I think initially it was around a million dollars per person. And then in the seventies, they changed it to 5 million. But what do rich, wealthy people do with valuable, large sums of money? They bond it and trade it, right? Mm -hmm. So then they started bonding and trading your birth certificate value on the bond market and then making hundreds of millions off of it over your lifetime. So secretly all along, because you don't know how valuable you are and they do, they're basing their currency off of you and you're none the wiser. And so really you're the creditor because your signature is like the most powerful thing in existence when you sign a check, a contract, a credit card, you name it. You're giving permission for someone to take money out of your trust account that you don't know mm -hmm. exists in the Federal Reserve Bank and then loan you your own money. And then they're going to ask you to pay them back for your money, right? And it's like, this is how far we've gotten from truth because we don't know who we are or how valuable we are. In reality, you are the most valuable thing that exists and everything's based on you. So you're the creditor, not the debtor. You've actually never, ever been in debt to anyone. You've actually never, ever borrowed money in your life. If you can wrap your mind around that, you have never borrowed money. That's how valuable you are. Everyone else has borrowed your money and then loaned it to you and not told you about it. And so once we start realizing this, we realize, oh, they're basing their whole system off of us because we're so valuable. And this is where crypto comes in, Otto, where people will say, well, I mean, at least the dollar was based off of gold. How much can a cryptocurrency be worth? It's not even real. It's invisible. It's digital. It doesn't even exist. And that's the same line of thinking that got us into this trap of the, the currency and the fiat currency, right, being weaponized. Value is not just something that's shiny and can be sold or whatever. Value is more, more deep than that. Value is also can be measured in intangibles like functionality, right? Crypto is valuable because it has an enormous amount of functionality that a fiat currency doesn't have, right? If I mm -hmm. want to send you a huge amount of money across the world, I got to go through all these banks. It's going to take a week. I got to pay all these fees, right? Because fiat currency is very limited because it's tangible. Crypto, I could just lightning send you money across the world. I could send you a million dollars worth of Bitcoin in 10 seconds in your wallet. Boom, done. And that's very valuable, right? Yeah, we can't weigh that on a scale, but that does that mean that's not valuable? Of course not, mm -hmm. right? Nobody would say that's not a valuable functionality. So now we're basing currency through crypto on things like functionality and capacity and ability and, you know, lightning networks and um, smart contracts, which are going to be so revolutionary for businesses. So that's to me, just another example, right? Of how value is not what we've been taught in school. You know, this paper dollar is valuable. It's actually not, it's a debt note. It has no value in and of itself. It points to something beyond itself. And that thing is really you, right? Which is the mind blowing red pill. Yeah, it was Robert Michael that told me like, okay, when you go to the bank and you, you ask for money as a loan, as soon as you sign it, you're actually giving them the authority to print the new money and then give it back to you with interest or like uh, give it back to you with a charging interest. <laughs> yep. yep. So yeah, the, the worth, the value comes from us. We are, we are uh, you know, if, if, if anything, we're complacent. We're, we're like, we're helping, we're supporting these systems by, by using it, by feeding into it. So it's really just an, uh, really, you know, it, it's that uh, 
as a, as a person that can just be, or no, I'm, I'm sorry, as a man, <laughs> as a man there that can go. just be in this reality, there is energy coming out of me nonstop. There is creative yes. flow, creative energy coming out of me. So the thing that I interact with in this reality is going to start being worth something, period. <laughs> exactly, bro. Well said. There you go. <laughs> You're the eternal right? creditor. Yeah, no, I, I, I love this. I love this conversation. I love the, you know, the, 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 the depths of this and it can go so much deeper. You can go we so can much go, deeper. Yeah, we can go way deeper. But I, don't, <laughs> I know uh, we, we've whole already been here podcast. for 90 minutes. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast for sure. Just on that topic. You know, this one was specific because I wanted to know you and what you know and who you are. Um, so let me ask these last couple of questions here and then we'll do, uh, the, the videos, uh, reaction videos. Okay. So what are some daily self-care grounding practices that you do to help during triggering moments in this reality? Oh, I love that. So do you mean, uh, like in a moment where I am triggered, what do I do in those moments or just like a daily routine kind of thing? Both. I mean, you know, does one support the other and, and yeah, what, what do you, I really want to know what do you do in those moments for sure? Yeah. Well, yeah, they definitely, one definitely supports the other and that would be meditation. Meditate twice a day, first thing in the morning and then in the evening sometime. And I'll do breath work plus 20 to 30 minutes of like deep meditation just to start my day off in stillness and presence and mindfulness. Can't recommend it enough. I think if everybody began their day, just taking some time to be still with themselves, we'd be living in a whole different world, right? <laughs> so that's the number one for me. But in terms of like, what do I do when I'm triggered? Well, this is really, you know, what I love teaching about in my courses and whatnot. Uh, depending on what, whether it's a physical trigger in the body and emotion or a mental trigger, meaning a, a thought or a belief system is operating, uh, there might be different ways that I approach it, but really it's it's gotten more and more simple for me over the years, Otto, which is that everything has to come back to love because love is the only the only energy in the universe that can actually heal something or transmute something. And so if I'm not able to just meet myself wherever I am in whatever moment, if I'm angry, if I'm, if I just embarrassed myself, whatever it is, and just love myself in that moment and be okay with what is and accept what is I've, I've come to find the longer I've practiced this, that that's all we ever need is to be in full acceptance of who we are, that we are on a journey. We are not supposed to be at absolute perfection in every way possible. Like we're here to enjoy the journey of self-actualization. And part of that journey is, can you forgive yourself for your flaws and mistakes? And can you envision a higher version of yourself and fall in love with that version of you and strive towards it? That's what makes life meaningful and worth living and makes the spiritual journey uh, one that is enjoyable and uh, happy. So self-love for me is, is the ultimate, like in the moment practice that, uh, that anybody could adopt. I love that. Um, I, I, I say this, uh, with my partner, with my, with my girlfriend, uh, I would say this often, like, you can, you can always say anything you want with love. You can say whatever you want with love, you know? So if, if there's, point. if there's an energy that comes in and it, and it gets reaction, you can still say what you want. You should say what you want but you can say it with love. So yeah, I, I love that. I love that. Go back to love, fall to love 
make that your 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 default. Yes. Love is always the best and most intelligent decision you could make in any moment. I love that. Love that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, okay. So last question here before we go into this last thing here. Uh, you have a few minutes. You're in front of millions of people. What do you leave these millions of people with in those few minutes? Mm. I would probably spend that time if I ever had it talking about the importance of forgiveness and loving one another and just talk about the power of love to change the world and to, to try and reshape people's view of love because humanity, when we hear the word love, we still think of it as what I would call specialness. Uh, specialness is not love. Love is something unconditional, eternal, and unchanging. It's something inherent in everyone. And the vast majority, if not all of humanity's problems ultimately come from the fact that we don't know how to love one another. We don't know how to love ourselves. And forgiveness to me is sort of the, the prime mover or the, the prime demonstration of someone who's living from love when you can not hold someone's actions against them, but you can see the, the highest good in them and want for them exactly what you want for yourself, such that you can forgive them for their mistakes or their uh, trespasses against you. That is how we create a beautiful, happy, united world that benefits everyone. And right now, the world we're living in, as you know, is so polarized, so full of strife. And is it getting us anywhere good? Is it is it getting us any closer to a world we all want to live in? Absolutely not. So to me, love, forgiveness is the ultimate demonstration of self-empowerment, of truly uh, true power and true strength. And I think if, if people saw love like that, everybody would want to practice forgiveness and self-love. It's only that they think forgiveness is this act of disempowerment, right? That, that makes it uninteresting or unappealing. And so a lot of what I do in the world is through teaching um, this text, A Course in Miracles, which is all about forgiveness and the power of forgiveness and just trying to reshape humanity's understanding of love and forgiveness. Love that. Yes. Yes. Guys, if you're listening to this and you want to learn more about uh, love and ascension and meditation and expanding your mind, uh, Aaron Abke can teach you. Go to uh, 4duniversity.com, right? 4duniversity.com. Yes. Or find him on Instagram, Aaron Abke. That's A B K E, and it's A A Ron. A A Ron. A A Ron Abke on Instagram. Brother, thank you so much, man. This was so good. The conversation was so good. It was so good. Such and I know a blast, there's more. Man. I know there's so many, so much, so many more layers, especially because we didn't even like, we didn't even touch on um, our our past, really, like our, our how we align with uh, the church and marriage and just like. I would love to just dive deep into that with you and know your perspective on that. Anytime, but brother. Yes. Uh, but before we finish, uh, I have this little segment that I include now into my, there it is, into my, um, into my podcast. So if you're, if you're listening, you're probably just going to hear the audio and that's okay. But it, you definitely want to watch the YouTube version of this because there's some funny stuff here. All right, here we go. The College of Psychologists, a bunch of people put in power by the government basically, is threatening to take my dad's psychology license 
because he's been criticizing the government. He's getting investigated because of tweets he's tweeted, personal tweets, opinions, things he said on Joe Rogan. They're requiring him to do media retraining that he pays $225 an hour for, for an unspecified amount of time. And then at the end of that training, they decide whether or not he's learned anything and whether he can continue being a psychologist. I'm not entirely sure what to do here other than tell people about what's going on, but maybe complaining back at them is appropriate. You can go to the link, I'm gonna link it below, and you can enter in a complaint about the college itself and the people running it because they're bullying and harassing my family. So I don't know where the protection there is. It's a serious war out there. It's crazy and we could use some help here. The so that's for Jordan Peterson. And, and essentially, um, I think this is pretty big because it's, it, he is just talking his opinion. He's just sharing his opinion on Twitter and saying what he disagrees with. And now you have th these centralized systems that license you. It's like, you know, it's, it's a medical system that licenses people uh, saying, hey, we're going to take it away because uh, you disagree with us. So mm -hmm. what is your perspective on this? Yeah, look, look at there it is again, just another kind of outsourcing of our power to some system that can then be used against us. Uh, these are just basic lessons we're, we're learning now, right? That we, we have to stop being dependent on really anything outside of us, but especially these corporate systems that have run the world for so long. We got to make our own systems and or just be self-dependent, self-responsible. And I, I really liked Jordan's response to this, the little clip that I saw where he said, um, I'm definitely not doing that, first of all. But second of all, I don't need them. I don't need their credentials. I don't care about their representation, so they can have it. And it's like, that's the attitude of empowerment, right? Now that they now they have no power over you if you don't want what they have. And it's funny because he said, he said, if, if anything, I'm worried about the guy that's going to do it. He's going to be retrained. Right. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah. Um, awesome. Okay, here's, here's the next video here. Introducing Ectolife, the world's first artificial womb facility, powered entirely by renewable energy. Ectolife allows infertile couple to conceive a baby and become the true biological parents of their own offspring. It's a perfect solution for women who had their uterus surgically removed due to cancer or other complications. With Ectolife, premature births and C-sections will be a thing of the past. Ectolife is designed to help countries that are suffering from severe population decline, including Japan, Bulgaria, South Korea, and many others. The facility features 75 highly equipped labs. Each state-of-the-art lab can accommodate up to 400 growth pods or artificial wombs. Every pod is designed to replicate the exact conditions that exist inside the mother's uterus. A single building can incubate up to 30,000 lab-grown babies per year. Ectolife allows your baby to develop in an infection-free environment. The pods are made of materials that prevent germs from sticking to their surfaces. Every growth pod features sensors that can monitor. All right, it just starts getting weird now because then it, it just <laughs> reminds me, it reminds me of the Matrix. And okay, well, uh -huh. give, give your give your perspective on this because to me it's like oh we're building the batteries here they are. 
Yeah, so so many of these new innovation videos we see, like what was the one with the wall they wanted to build in the middle of the desert in Saudi oh, Arabia or whatever? The, the line. line, yeah. They all look like clips straight out of a 1990s sci-fi movie, <laughs> don't they? Some of the dystopian sure. sci-fi future, and it's like, oh, now we're actually trying to do this stuff. Um, obviously, tons and tons of red flags there, but what I what strikes me the most is just, again, the way that Western medicine and Western society looks at the body and health in general. It's like, we've protected the stupid, dumb body from its own germs by creating an even better womb artificially that's way better than the stupid mother's womb that is unhealthy and unsafe. <laughs> you know, it's like it has that aura to it of human arrogance. Yep. Yep. And it's like, we've protected it from germs, which are, of course, the reason why we get sick. It's not all the toxins and the poison and the horrible shit we put in our body 24 7. It's the evil little micro. Uh, organisms called germs that are the source of our problems. We protect you from those now. It's like it's no, so even on far removed. Even on from top reality. of that, there's that part where they said, "Oh, oh, for women that had their uterus, uteruses surgically removed because of cancer and, and all these things that." And I looked. I actually looked this up. Uh, the three things that they named. The, it's like below one percent oh, of yeah, women like, that do that. So I'm like, who are you guys targeting? Oh, who are they targeting? The people that are choosing. To have their uteruses removed. I was going to say, I bet the gender transition surgeries that remove uteruses are way higher than, you know, it is. statistically than like cancer and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, this goes back to, you know, Tartaria and, and so and, uh, Orwellian, man. Uh, yeah. Like what, is, what are we doing with technology here, guys? Yep. Uh, yep. And then the last one here, this is a little bit more fun and maybe even mind blowing too, because it was to me when I saw it. All right, here we go. Um, Oh, wait, uh, this one. It's the prequels to uh, the be wait, Terminator is the prequels to uh, the beginning of the Matrix. Sarah Connor is actually Neo's mother. So JC, John Connors, Jesus Christ, grows up to be Neo, one and the same in the Matrix. The Matrix is in the future. The Terminator is the past, it's time travel, past, present, and future time travel. It's the second coming of the Christ, the evolutions of consciousness, man versus the machine. Terminator is the prequels to... <laughs> what do you think? Because that blew my mind. Interesting. <laughs> She's the writer. She's the writer of The Matrix and The Terminator. Oh, the, the Terminator Matrix had the same writer? Yeah, it's the same writer. Oh, I had no idea. I mean, either. I know. She's like, wow. well, actually, this is how it is. And then she's breaking it down for you, man. She's letting you know. It's like, no, this is the past, the future. And that has to do with Jesus and, and the coming of Christ. I mean, it's it's all connected. It makes so, perfect um, sense. To me, The Matrix was a documentary. I don't know how it was to you, but to me, like looking 100%. back now, I'm like, wow. That movie has red-pilled me no less than three times in my life. <laughs> First, it was with religion. I, I watched The Matrix when I was like, 20 and i saw it through the lens of like religion is the matrix that mm. you know that i have to escape and then later it was um through common law you know and the legal system is the matrix and stuff and then it was like the cabal and the the planetary like whether you believe in extraterrestrial influence and stuff like mm. there's another yeah, matrix yeah. behind that that movie has been a huge um catalyst for consciousness expansion 
Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, I think movies in general, I grew up watching movies. So that I'll say, you know, at least for me, it was, it was definitely more of a learning tool. Cause I, I think I recognize like, okay, this is fiction and, and we're, I think for myself too, cause I wanted to be an actor. I, I watched it with that mindset of like, okay, these are actors, they're doing their thing. So I was really more looking on the, the techniques and the way that they were presenting the information as well as the information mm-hmm. itself. Uh, so I never felt like I was like, I don't know, getting sucked into the, the fiction of it. Does that make sense? Like I, I could almost just be an observer of it really, instead of like, getting sucked in emotionally. Yeah. Um, I've actually done a video on the matrix being an analogy for the human ego that your ego is like, like the agents in the matrix that don't want you to break out is like, that's your ego to you. It doesn't want you to be spiritually liberated. So it keeps coming after you in different ways. So many parallels with that movie. I know there is. There is. Well, uh, this was amazing. Thank you, Aaron. This was so good. Um, we'll go ahead and call it here. This was beautiful. Thank you so much. And it, like I said, if you guys want to connect with him, you can go to his website, 4duniversity.com or his Instagram is AA Ron Abke. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, Aaron Abke on Instagram. Thank you, brother. Is there anything you want to plug? Last thing you want to say? No, you plugged it all for me, man. Just wanted to say thanks for having me on and what a blast I had and can't wait to do it again, brother. All right. Thank you so much. And always remember, gamify your abundance. Love you guys.